With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four, and England have won the match. Hello and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket, to the day before the second Test match at Manchester, England. Trying to get back into the series, of course, after that rather humbling defeat at the hands of the South African fast bowlers at Lords last week. We're just talking before the England team has been announced, if they announce it on the day before the game, which they sometimes do now. Uh, on this day, by the way, in 1980, was the first ever floodlit game in England between Essex and the touring West Indians played at Stamford Bridge. <laughs> so uh, that just gives you a little sense for 1980, 42 years ago, when floodlit cricket first came to England. Uh, and I think you think, Simon, that the floodlights might be needed in Manchester uh, for for, the, for this test match because there's slight, slightly gloomy weather forecast. Well, I think the forecast is not too bad, but of course what you do get at this time of the year, you get that light that fades a bit early. So you might need them on at 6 o'clock, 6.30. They bowl their overs quite slowly, don't they, these days? Yeah, so good luck facing that South African pace bowling attack at 6.15. I mean, it depends on the configuration of the game, of course. You never quite know who's going to be batting at whatever time. But talking about... Back in the day, 1980, 1976, Michael Holding and all that at the Oval 16 wickets. You've had a, a text from him, haven't you, in response to one of your articles? Yeah. Well, I, I mentioned him, actually, in my sort of review of the Test match, talking about the South African fast bowlers and saying, you know, they are the fastest combination of bowlers that England face for a good time, maybe 20 years, maybe more, actually. Their average speed on that third day was 86 miles an hour, and that compares very favourably with those great West Indies attacks of the 80s, of which uh, Michael Holding was obviously a, a significant part. And he read my piece. In fact, I even said that I thought Rabada was the modern incarnation of Whispering Death because he sort of ghosts very silently, glides to the wicket and then unleashes the thunderbolts, just like Michael Holding used to. And Holding has just uh, sent me a, a text saying, a friend of mine sent me the article you wrote about the Sunday, about the South African bowling attack. 
As a former quickie, I was grinning throughout. Sorry I wasn't there to see it live. Pace always separates the men from the boys, irrespective of where you're born or where you learn your cricket. Absolutely. You, yeah. Very true. Yeah. I, I remember actually Tony Cozier, doing an interview with Tony Cozier, before the Ashes series of 2005, it, it, it might have been the same year, it might have been the year before, it probably was the same year, and England were playing a match, I think, at, at Headingley. I just I remember it really caught in my mind at the time, actually. And I said to him, do you think England have got a chance this summer against Australia? And it, it, at the time, it felt a little bit fanciful. I know England had been doing quite well. And he said, yes, I do, because they've got four quick bowlers. And when you can get four quick bowlers together, you've got an opportunity. OK, it wasn't, I mean, Matthew Hoggard wasn't express pace, but they had Simon Jones, who was quick, Andrew Flintoff, who was quick, and they had Steve Harmison, who was quick, and they had Matthew Hoggard as, as, you know, as, as well, you know, very capable, more than capable, uh, other option as well. And so, yeah, they, there you go. You get four quick bowlers together. Mind you, I mean, England had four pace bowlers <laughs> together at Lords, but... The difference being they bowled, you know, sort of 82, something like that. And South Africa, you say, were at average 86. And England, England, what was England's average? Probably about 80, 81, something like that over the course of the Test match. Yeah, yeah. and it, there is a significant difference, actually. And, you know, the a lot of bowlers bowl 80, 81, 82. Not so many bowl above 86. And it's just that difference. It's that five miles an hour, which does make a difference to a batsman. It's probably about 002 of a second difference in reaction time, but it, it is key. And if you look at somebody like Johnny Bairstow playing against Anrish Nokia in that uh, last test match, he was late on quite a number of deliveries, some of the ones that got him out, but some of the ones he missed as well. And it does separate the men from the boys, as, as Michael Holding said. Incidentally, uh, on this show today, we've also got, uh, talking of sort of yesteryear, we've also got England's previous coach, from the last five years or so, Trevor Bayliss, who was our guest in the Virtual Cricket Club last night, talking about the current England side, his coaching philosophy, and also quite some quite interesting stuff about Ben Stokes uh, and his view of him when he first met him and his uh, thoughts that he could be a fine captain. Stokes, of course, very much the talking point this week with his documentary about to be launched on Amazon on Friday and various uh, headlines already cropping up uh, regarding that, I was actually late uh, to this recording of our podcast, yards because I overslept this morning. And while I was sleeping, I actually had a dream that Joe Root replaced Ben Stokes as England captain for this Test match, and also they, the England selectors called up David Lawrence. <laughs> so, you know how you get really Sid. Good, they called you not David. You mean David Lawrence from Dan Lawrence or no David, David Lawrence. Lawrence? Yeah, the old Sid, the old Sid Lawrence, the old fast bowler. They called him in for this Test match. Perhaps that was just sort of subconsciously that thing. England do need a little bit of uh, pace in their attack. They also caught up a mystery spinner I'd never heard of as well. Anyway, not dreams. They're, they're really funny. But there we go. Um, yeah. Well, on the eve of the game, we probably shouldn't speculate too much about team changes because we're recording for England of, of name their side. But let, let's just lay down a marker for people to, to, to laugh at us after, if they listen to this after the England team has been announced. Do, do you think England are going to make any changes or, or many? I don't think they are. Uh, well, I wouldn't at the moment because I think that, you you know, as Michael Holding and many, many other people have said, it's a challenge facing that attack. And, you know, England have seen it now and now they know what to expect. And I think they'll be wiser and maybe confronted in a different way. Uh, perhaps the pitch will be different. Uh, so, so there's a lots of other sort of factors. But 
I don't think it will be that well. It's it's like a, sort of the a poison chalice, really, giving say Harry Brook the opportunity to go and open the batting against this attack when he's never played a Test match and he's been playing in the hundred for the last couple of weeks, playing well, but it's a slightly different challenge. So I don't think I'd be changing the the batting order and. I don't think I'd be changing the bowling either. They've just got a bowl a bit better. They were a bit rusty uh, in that first test. They've just got a bowl better. Yeah, I, I mean, I, my hunch is that they won't change very much, if anything at all. I mean, the, the, uh, the one thing I could see them doing is bringing in Ollie Robinson for one of the pace bowlers. Uh, unlikely to be, well, it won't be Jimmy Anderson, I should think, in his home ground. Possibility of Stuart Broad, possibility of Matthew Potts. So that's the only thing I think they can do. But it's, I think it's one of those, isn't it? You have, sometimes you have a, a heavy defeat, and in in the past they were right, got to be changes. You know, there was a sort of outcry. You know, we've got to have four changes, got to do something about it. But they're, they're much less inclined to do that these days. They're much more inclined to say, right, just just play better. We won well early in the summer. Yeah, let's. You also hope as well that the. Again, I talked about the configuration of the game earlier. That that might be a bit different this time. You might, you know, win a good toss or whatever, or you might bat first on a a sunny day in a nice flat pitch or some something like that. That so you get the the, the factors in your favour. I think the feeling was that at Lords, you know, South Africa, yeah, did have the better of the conditions. They had good good conditions to bowl in. But that's not to in any way sort of undermine, denigrate or their performance. I thought they you know they played supremely well and they put England under pressure uh, throughout the match. And actually that has been a feature, hasn't it, the, of some of the conversation sort of post match, is that England want to play in this style. And and Brendan McCullum saying, well perhaps we you know perhaps we allowed them to dictate that we didn't try to enforce our game on them enough, actually. So, there were, you know, people said, oh, England didn't lose because of their basball approach. Oh, no, I've mentioned that word, sorry. You know, because, anyway, the, the Brendan McCullum approach. Um, but what he was saying was that perhaps we, we should have tried to be a bit more aggressive against them. I, I don't know how you do that against that. Well, it, was, it, was too, it, it all happened too well, quickly. Yeah. I, 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 it was crushed out of existence before it even started really they never got into first gear so it was the impressive performances of the, of the South Africans getting those early wickets you know it was a Alex Lees unfortunately played a, a pretty terrible shot in the first innings and that just opened the door and then wasn't that a shot wasn't that a shot that was so I we talked about at the time was sort of out of character with the way he generally plays okay I know he was aggressive well I know he was aggressive at Birmingham it was a lovely sunny day mm. and the pitch was flat and dry by them in that second innings when they went him and Crawley put on that wonderful partnership but it to me it just seemed a shot out of character at all had character with his basic nature of his sort of batting over the years yeah. And also, certainly out of character with the conditions at the time, and it was not a, it wasn't even on the up really. He was trying to hit it, was it? You know, sometimes you say, "Oh, yeah, hit it on the up." It wasn't even that full. It, you know, it certainly wasn't half volley. It wasn't, and that's that's a really good point. And in, in interestingly, and we'll hear from Trevor Bayliss shortly, but one of the points he made about the transformation that he helped create in England's one day side in 2015 was identifying the players who could deliver their more aggressive, positive method of play. And one of those people was Jason Roy, uh, who naturally is an aggressive player. And you will remember, you know, the first match of England's sort of rejuvenation, uh, second coming, whatever you want to call it, in 2015 against New Zealand at Edgebaston, Roy played a, a big shot to the first ball of the match against New Zealand and was out, caught mm. backward point. But... 
it didn't stop them, England, from seizing that initiative and playing that way. And it didn't stop because it was his hand. It, it was his natural sort of game. It was more his because it was his yeah. natural game. Whereas you do, you're right. You're you're putting uh, Lees into a situation or trying to get him to play in a situation in a way that isn't natural to him. So that that's that's a problem because I don't. I think there's a disconnect mm. between how Lees wants to actually play really and how McCullum and the, the rest of the team want him to play. Want, want England to play. So. Yeah, it's 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 a problem. That I mean, maybe he can, you know, create a a new way of playing for himself. And there were signs that he could in that uh, previous few Test matches, but it just didn't look natural somehow. I agree with you. I, I, there, there were. I mean, he has said himself that when you know when he was uh, younger, he was nicknamed Hados, wasn't he, or something like that. You know that he. So he. I think when he was younger, he perhaps he was a bit more aggressive, and he sort of he's, as he's grown grown older he's sort of learnt to sort of tailor his game to the conditions and, and give himself time anyway it will be interesting to see how that uh, develops it's just one of those things you know you play you play a shot like that you've, you've and you and, you and you nick it and you'd already played one he sliced it over the the top of the slips you might go to old trafford and it might be a nice flat surface sunny day i think that, i think the weather is going to be uh, reasonably decent over the next few days and it and it, and it comes off and, and you look back and you think well Laws, laws is one of those things. I perhaps just a, was a fraction aggressive, uh, a bit too early. But yeah, well, we'll see how Alex Lee's career develops. I mean, his his record so far, albeit on a much smaller sample, isn't is no better than uh, Zach Crawley's. So that, that's where that, that's where England have their problem. Well, one of their problems, I think, is that at the top of the order, and we'll see how that develops in this Test match and in, at, at the Oval as well. It's a great, it's actually a really intriguing battle now, isn't it? I, I, I must say. Coming into this series, I thought that England probably would just be a bit too strong for South Africa. Uh, I think mainly because I wasn't convinced that, mm. well, Rabat, there was a big question mark over Rabada's fitness. Sort of fear went down with injury. Uh, you know, how is South Africa going fig- to configure it? But actually, getting them all on the pitch, all firing together, worked really well for them at Lords. And they've got, you know, they've got a decent. Spinner as well. Well, two different, two wickets behind. Yeah. They, yeah. they play Simon Harmer, but I'm sure they, he's struggling to get in the team now after that first yeah. test, which which yeah. Maharaj had an influence on as well, didn't he? he got those two early wickets in yeah, the second definitely. inning. So, yeah. very well balanced side. I mean, England have to focus on the South African batting and think to themselves, we can knock these guys over. Yeah, I saw Neil Manthorpe actually coming away from Lords. You know, the respected South African journalist and, and broadcaster who's seen, you know, probably just about all every game they've played uh, since readmission, I, I imagine. And he said to me, I said, yeah, that was a good win uh, for South Africa. And Neil, he said, yeah. He said, but South Africa, they've got 160 all out in them as well. So, you know, different different venue, different day, different, you know, things can change around. And we saw actually the last series between these two teams, South Africa won the first test well in Centurion. They gave England a a good hiding and every now and again in England they've given England a, a good hiding and you know, a reasonable amount of regularity England have, have fought back so yeah another I mean really fascinating test match in prospect I, th- I think perhaps the authorities will be hoping it lasts a bit more than two and a half days uh, I, I met someone last night a friend of mine who had a ticket for Saturday and you know really disappointed you know no no cricket and they must have lost I don't know whether it's insured or not, but they must have lost an enormous, almost an enormous amount of money not being able to play on that fourth day, which is the Saturday of the Lord's Test match yeah, in August. Saturday of the Lord's Test as well. You know, everybody's looking forward to it. Lots of uh, 
obviously members and fans and so on. It's a, it's a highlight of the summer for many people. So it was a really sad thing. I suggested a beer, a beer match, <laughs> in fact, didn't I? But obviously those things don't happen these days. Now you're talking about the, you're talking about the 19th century for that sort of thing to happen. I thought they were club type, club matches. I mean, I'm sure people have played in club matches where you've lost. You know, you you bowled out for 30 or something like that. The opposition knocked them off, and then you then you have a beer match later. I mean, it's it's a, it's a bit of a club tradition. What's the lowest score you've ever heard from a club team? Uh, well, I, I, I the the one that sticks in my mind, and this is not a club team. This is a school match. I remember playing a, a cup match at school, and we bowled the opposition out for 10. That's the low. That's the lowest score I can remember. My my dad played in a team for London Theatres actually, which was bowled out for seven. Mm. And um, well, you know, you, you, you can't really imagine it, can you? Well, it's not, not being much, able to get more than seven, eleven players. <laughs> it's not much fun, actually, is it? I mean, you you when you go out and play, especially as a club cricket. I mean, if you play at top level, you bowl a team out for next to nothing. You're absolutely delighted because you just want to win, don't you? But uh, 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 well, the level I'm talking about, you it's it's part you want to win, but it's also about having that competition, that enjoyment as well. You want to you want to go have a chance to bat for two or three hours, don't you? As well, you don't want to be you know have to go and bat for four balls to knock off the ten you need to win. Even the worst players somehow managed to get runs. Don't you know, my, my one of my sons was playing on Sunday, and he said this guy came into bat and he stood sort of virtually at right angles to the wicket instead of side on, front on. And tried to kind of basically ramp everything with all his legs all over the place, and he got about fifteen runs. <laughs> so, it's it's I don't know. It's a, the beauty of the our, our ridiculous game, isn't it? Yeah. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just thought, actually, Yoz, before we hear from Trevor Bayliss, you, you were talking about the, the floodlit match in 1980 between Essex and the West Indies. I mean, can they have imagined back then what they were going to unleash? I mean, I suppose we'd already seen it, hadn't we, in World Series cricket with, with Kerry Packer. So it was sort of becoming the new thing. Can we do it over here? And, you know, they did it at a football ground, didn't they? Didn't they? I think they played... Uh, you might have played a game at Ashton Gate as well in, in Bristol. You know, they, they were experimenting with playing cricket in football grounds. It didn't really work. Well, all that well it didn't actually, because I, I went to one of those games at Stamford Bridge and mm. um, it, it's they tried to position the pitch, an artificial pitch, kind of at diagonal to the mm. football sort of structure and it, so that not all the boundaries were ridiculously short. Well, you... If you put it in the middle, if you align it with in the same way as a football pitch, you've just got ridiculously short square boundaries. So by doing a diagonal, you've got a sort of deeper mid-wicket boundary 
into the corner, if you like. Yeah. yeah. But then you've also got a sort of ridiculous Mickey Mouse square leg boundary, and mm. it, it just you know it was it was just a little poke for six, mm. so it, it never worked. They tried it, of course, in in America as well, playing cricket in baseball stadiums, and again the, the dimensions of the grounds were just. Made it a bit of a mockery. Mm. Who would have thought? Actually, the answer ultimately yours was to put floodlights in cricket grounds. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? That someone eventually came up with that idea. Um, but of course, I'm just slightly dig- digressing. Because what used to happen was the temporary floodlights. Can you remember those before they had permanent floodlights? And they were pretty hopeless. You can barely see. So the team batting second invariably lost, didn't they? When they had those. Well, they were just borrowed from railway sidings, weren't they? <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're right. Okay, Yoz, um, let, let, let's move on to Trevor Bayliss. Um, now, one of the sort of the talking points this week, and it's because, uh, you know, Ben Stokes, England captain, and on Friday they're going to release this uh, film made by Sam Mendes about his life, and inevitably uh, Ben Stokes has been doing the pre-publicity uh, for this uh, film because they obviously want to get as many people to watch it as possible and and he's given lots of ind- individual interviews to various uh, people but you've been speaking to Trevor Bayliss about Stokes as England captain and you asked him the question didn't you did he see Ben Stokes as a potential England captain way back when? I think it was when we were in Bangladesh and Cookie was still uh, was still the captain, and obviously Joe Root was the heir apparent to uh, you know to take over that captaincy. And I know the uh, the written journalist asked me after a, after the game one day about you know was there anyone else uh, other than Joe Root that could uh, be captain of uh, England? And I suggested Ben Stokes, to which they all laughed. I said, No, I'm serious, and they you know that that shut him up a little bit because I, it, it to me he was he was a leader of men. Um, you know, he was one of those guys that uh, you know, a lot of the other guys in the team were attracted to. You know, they've, if he was speaking or if uh, he was having a beer or, you know, there was always guys around him. The guys were just attracted to him. And when he spoke in a team meeting or, you know, after a game, uh, every, everyone listened. Um, and if something had to be, uh, like if someone disagreed with uh, with me, for example, which I'm, I'm not a not afraid of he would be the one that would speak up you know even to Straussy I know Straussy when we went to the India for the 2016 T20 World Cup Straussy came over to have a meeting and he wanted to have a meeting before one of the games and and Stokesy went to Paul Farbrace and and said he didn't think it was the right time to have a meeting which should be after the after the match so they you know they both came to my uh, to my room which I agreed with so we went and saw Stokes uh, uh, Straussy and Stokes, he told him what he thought, uh, so he changed things around. Uh, you know, he, he was a bit of a, a, a spokesperson for the for the rest of the team. Tell us uh, the story about your first meeting with Stokes, a proper sort of uh, encounter on the golf course in Spain, I think, wasn't it? That's right. I, I, I arrived uh, here in London, and I think about two days later, we, we flew out to Spain for a three-day cricket camp, if you like. We didn't do much cricket. It was uh, We did a little bit of fielding and catching. Um, but it was a, it was pretty much a sort of a three days for them to get to know me and me to get to know them. Yeah, first or second day there was a game of uh, a game of golf on, and um, you know I'd only met the guys half an hour before, for example, and I was teeing off on a par three and hooked it into the bushes, and Stokes and Mark Wood were coming up the par four just near where we're hitting off, and 
you know, he sledged me for hitting it into the uh, into the trees. You know, I just thought to myself, he's a bloke. You know, he's not afraid to actually speak up. Um, you know, he's getting stuck into the getting stuck into the new coach, and he do, he doesn't really know me. So that just made me feel like, well, is is a bloke that uh, you know is not afraid to to speak his mind and not a, not afraid to speak up. And I, I guess you've you've observed uh, what England have done under his leadership since. So I, I guess probably it doesn't surprise you that they've sort of taken the bull by the horns and shaken it and <laughs> given it a, re- a, a really good a really good going over. Yeah, it's been exciting. It's been exciting to watch. You know, look, it's it's it, it's not going to work every single time, but it's uh, yeah. How do they react to that? I I, I think possibly similar to what we did in the in the one day setup was we, um, early on we we fell over a few times trying to make some big scores and but, but what we said to the guys was like let's test the ceiling um, and see how good we'll see how high we can go we're, we're going to fall over a few times but we will learn from it things may change a little bit as as you go but let's test the ceiling if we don't test the ceiling and see what we can do well we, we we don't know how good you know we can be so that's that was our approach or one of our approaches in the one day game and I think maybe to a certain degree that's you know I don't know I haven't spoken to them since I've been here or but yeah that may be one of the philosophies uh you know with Stokesy and Baz McCullum uh, for the test team in a way I mean I've thought this all along actually Baz Ball is really Trev Ball <laughs> I mean in the sense that you and Morgan and obviously a couple of play, senior players brought in that new kind of um, liberated way of playing and, you know, no holds barred, no blame, just, you know, make good decisions, but be positive all the time. Yeah. Look, I, look, I think it's... Look, I, found myself, I found myself trying to explain what being positive and aggressive was for three or four years you know I, I did come in and say if I changed anything if I, if, if I did change anything or if I went back and I had to change something it would be explain that a little better a little better at the at the very beginning I came in and said look I, I think the question was yeah how, how do you want the team to play and I said well you know good positive aggressive cricket you know what, what I was trying to ex- then explain for the next three or four years was being positive and aggressive is not hitting fours and six or trying to hit fours and sixes every ball. It's being it's having a positive mindset because if you've got a positive mindset, the, the the runs do come. The longer you bat, the more the more runs you're able to score. The easier it is to to score. Yes, by all means, you've got to do some hard yards early sometimes. Other times you can get away, just depending on what the bowlers um, serve up. But it's about having a positive mind. If you've got a positive mind and you are looking to score and not just survive for example you, you make good decisions you know you defend well you leave well you know you're looking for the, the quick single and when the bad ball comes away you're in that positive frame of mind before you know it it's racing away to the fence is it also uh, a little bit about uh if a player is out playing positively to not castigate them or question it maybe to um analyze it later but to encourage that that positivity so that if players feel afraid or nervous that they can kind of try and express themselves and mm. I, i'm not really articulate but it's a very difficult thing to articulate this isn't yeah. it I, look i i think the perfect example of that is jason roy in the one day team 
before I actually arrived in London, I'd been appointed and uh, they had a, a series against New Zealand uh, where Jason debuted, I think. Uh, and just, you know, being on the phone to uh, Morgs and Paul Farbrace, you know, we, what the changes we wanted to make to the team, well, the changes um, uh, Morgs wanted to make to the team was, was to get those positive players in. Jason was one of those players that uh, he, you know, we'd identified at the top of the at the top of the order, and uh, we gave him a certain role to get us off to a you know a, a quick start. But we also said, look, if it doesn't work, we're not we're not going to drop you for trying for playing your role, and to give him that confidence. So it, you know, he had that. Uh, you know, I, I think he missed out in most of those games. Oh no, the uh, first game, uh, the first game, he was out first ball. Yeah, it's New Zealand at Edgebaston. I remember it. 2015, yeah. um, May, June, he got a big drive at the first ball of the game, I think from Trent Bolt, and sliced it to cut to backward point. He was out, naught. Yeah. But yeah. he never looked back, really, did he? That's right. I, yeah, I think, yeah, hopefully giving him the confidence that, uh, well, I, you know, I've been given a job to do, and I'm going to go out and try and do that. And if it doesn't work out, playing that style of game, yeah, it has got its, it has got its risks. Um, if you don't execute properly. Um, so we couldn't sort of tell him, well, that was his job. And then after one or two failures, get rid of him. You know, we had, we, we had confidence in him that he was the right guy for the job. Hopefully he felt that confidence. And, you know, I'd like to think that, you know, he did feel it because he obviously uh, played a big role in uh, winning that World Cup four years later. You have a transformative effect on cricketers you work with. You've uh, obviously achieved a huge amount with Sri Lanka when you coached them you 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 used um you achieved a lot in the in the um IPL when you coached teams there and um come to England transformed England's one day side test match team stayed you know fairly steady and and now you've London Spirit who were the the sort of wooden spoonists last year absolutely terrible um now they're punching you know punching at the top of the table as well so I mean, I know you're a, a modest man who doesn't claim any credit, but I mean, what what do you think you have done? What, so what have you done for the London spirit? How have you managed to to make them play so well? Um, look, I think my my approach as a, as a coach at the highest levels with all the teams that I've been with, it's 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 pretty much about trying to play with a smile on your face. You know, th these guys are at the top level are. You know, we are experienced players. They've got a high skill level, uh, and they're underneath enough pressure as it as it is. You know, in front of the media and in front of uh, big crowds. And I think it's it's just about, as I said, you know, playing the game for the reasons you took it up in the first place, and that's uh, because you love playing the game, uh, and, and trying to instill that in in the players. You know, and throwing a few bad dad jokes every now and then, and you know, they take the Mickey out of you and have, you play with a smile on their face and. Um, that, that seems to take you know, some pressure off them when they go out to perform in the middle. And, you know, if, if, someone, if someone's trying to play their role and it's not quite coming off, that we don't actually drop them necessarily straight away, uh, that we send a message not just to them but the rest of the team that, uh, you know, it's okay, it's okay to fail as long as, you, uh, as long as you learn from it. We've got a lovely story. You kindly gave up your time uh, in Sydney about a year ago or so uh, in, in an interview we did for the World Cup documentary that we've made. And I know all our club members have, have heard a lot about this doc. And 
you told a lovely story in it, actually, which I'm not going to play because I'm going to play another little bit. But you told a lovely story about um, Jason Roy and the first one of the first times you met him. He came he came into the changing rooms with J Roy written on his shoes. Tell us what happened. Yeah, well, it was a, I think it was a warm up down in Southampton, actually. And he came out with, with his shoes uh, embroidered with J Roy on the back. So just have a bit of fun with him, you know. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not necessarily in favour of uh, people big noting themselves. I suppose, but he came out, so I just took the opportunity. I put a bit of uh, tape on the back of my shirt, shoes and wrote uh, TB on it, and said, "You know, you're you're not the only one that can have your name on the shoes," which you know, got a bit of a laugh out of him and the, and the players as well. So, and it just it sort of breaks the ice, you know. And as I said, you know, try to get the boys to play with a smile on their face. Actually, um, it, 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 I think it, it's things like that that are really important, aren't they? Because, firstly, it just stops people from, I, I think it was your phrase, actually, get, getting too big for their boots. But yeah. also, it, it does bring a bit of humour in, and it actually it diffuses possible, I don't know, jealousy or, you know, kind of players sort of looking down on each other or looking up on each other. Uh, it, it, it diffuses that a bit. Look, I, I can't really explain exactly what it is or the way I go about things but that sort of that approach is just me I, you know as I said before you know it's I want the players to go out and be themselves um, and it was one of the promises I made to myself when I first got the New South Wales uh, head coach's role in 2004 that uh, I'd had a bit of success at underage levels as a coach uh, I, you know I made a promise to myself that um, you know I wouldn't change I'd, I'd approach things in the same manner uh, and I've tried to do that right through you know first class cricket you know franchise cricket and uh, two international teams that I've done hopefully that's had a you know a small part to do in some of the success of you know I've been involved with or the teams have achieved that I've coached yeah the main thing is you, you do need some good players in the in, in your teams to have that success so Trevor Bayliss, of course, is here uh, coaching the London Spirit, talking of floodlights. Uh, they're in action tonight at Lords, playing Welsh Fire and doing well, actually. And interestingly, Trevor has had he's had a, he's had a really you know, sort of cathartic influence on a number of teams he's coached. Obviously, he really enhanced Sri Lanka's prowess, especially in one day cricket when he was coached there. He uh, did very well with the Kolkata Knight Riders, which is where he first connected with Owen Morgan in the IPL obviously lifted England up to, to World Cup triumph. And, and now he's got London Spirit second in the table. They were actually leading the 100 until recently. They were bottom last year. So, uh, again, he's had a, a, a transformative effect on the teams. And, I, I mean, he's certainly had a big effect on Stokes. Uh, I, I remember him telling me that, you know, early on in Stokes's sort of tenure with Bayliss in about 2017, he was just aware of how hard he was training and, you know, he said that, didn't he? He explained how it yeah. was important for Stokes to sort of leave something for the match, really. And mm. Stokes listened and certainly that, that helped his, his own performance. And, uh, you know, actually talking about the documentary and Stokes' sort of influence, it was him saying to the team before that India match in the 2019 World Cup, I'm nervous, I'm fearful that we're going to get knocked out here, which in a way gave everybody else sort of emboldened all the other players, to be honest, about their own feelings and brought everybody together and re-engaged them with the way they wanted to play. And they, they blitzed India in that, in that key match. 
Yeah. It's funny, isn't it, how I'm sure everybody in various walks of life, uh, work, whatever, social life, I don't know, local club, whatever, there's a, a character in that club, male or female, that just has that presence about them, that, that when they speak, people listen. They're not necessarily the leader. I'm sure you, I mean, you probably had it when you were playing. I know you had Mike Brealey as captain, but I bet there was a really strong personality in the dressing room. I mean, sometimes it's not. It's perhaps not not for good. Actually, it can be. Sometimes it can be a, you know, a negative influence. But there's there's always that strong character. The people also that they respect. They're also slightly fearful of as well. There's that sort. I don't know. That sort of brooding presence. Um, I don't know whether that's something that you recognize i think back to the t- you know I, I think back to sort of social situations it might be i don't know it might be in your class at school there's there's always there's always somebody who just you know you're a, you're a bit wary of is it's, it's not quite the right word but there's that that feeling of sort of mm, sort of respect from a slight distance sometimes well i mean john, intimidating. john Embry was definitely the, the character i think in the middlesex dressing room that that had that uh, sort of attitude that he didn't say much that certainly didn't say much that wasn't a swear word. Mm. But it, it, but when he said something, when he looked disappointed, he was an ultimate professional. And yeah. he didn't talk a lot about yeah. how he was going to play. He just, he just performed. But if he came off the field and mm. looked a little bit disconsolate and said something like, that was effing pisshole, mm. you just knew... That you, everyone had, had had not lived up to the standards, and he would then kind of just I, perhaps uh, elaborate a little bit, but he was someone you wanted to earn their respect. I think it's about earning a player's respect because you see how they carry yeah. themselves yeah. and how dedicated they are and how consistent and professional they are and how much they care, and so you want to you want to make sure that that, that you win that person's respect and and abide by their. Their principles, really. Yeah, that Trevor made uh, told that story about uh, when he said that, that Ben Stokes was the the character who could become an England captain to uh, the media back in in Bangladesh. Tora Bang, I must have been there for that. I, I, I'm just trying to remember it back because I what I, what I <laughs> my instinct was I don't remember laughing um, uh, when he said that. But I mean these things it's it's, it's a long time ago. Um, did did he seem a, an obvious leader? Uh, way back when, I don't know. He, he seemed he, he had sort of bit about that sort of wildness about him, didn't he? I suppose that that was what well, it was. Well, I think it's. I always thought that a team needs a captain who's quite composed and yeah. resourceful, and someone who's a sort of warrior-like figure to lead them on the field and 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 get going. You know, when the tough gets going, they get going, kind of thing. And obviously, you know, Michael Vaughan had Andrew Flintoff, Mike Brearley had Ian Botham and Bob Willis, and. Uh, Ben Stokes is that character that Joe Root had or didn't have at various times. Uh, so, you know, in a way, I always felt that Stokes, could he be captain and have that warrior-like spirit mm. as well? And I don't think it's an easy thing to, no. to combine. No, because the, the point is that the examples that you, you gave there, Ian Botham and Andrew Flintoff, they didn't turn out to be particularly effective captains, did they? I mean, both might say, well, you know, I was given a poison chalice of... X number of test matches against West Indies, you know, and, and probably anyone who was captain at that time would have struggled in those series against West Indies. And he was he was quite young as well. Andrew Flintoff took England to the Ashes. That didn't work out. Um, but, but 
Ben Stokes. Well, he's he's won four out of six. I mean, it could it could go horribly wrong, couldn't it? Um, it, it was with and it could it could be relatively short lived as well. Ben Stokes' ten years as England captain. We don't quite know how it's going to. Of course, you don't. We don't quite know how it's going to pan out. Uh, he has he has lost two Test matches so far as captain. One to quite an ordinary West Indies side in England, and one to you know an absolute shellacking from. South Africa, and actually, in all the, in all the games he's captained so far, I mean, you you think sort of the natural order of things is England would get, would have gone on to lose those games. So you know he's, he's, he's they managed to drag themselves out of some tough situations in, a, in a, on another day. They you know they they might be looking at naught from six so far, uh, but if there's some butts of sport, there we go. Yeah. Well, England have got to play better, that's for sure. In this second Test match, and we'll be doing a, a daily review of each day's play from Thursday onwards. So I hope you can join us for that. And thanks for listening. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.